Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask my guests to look back over their life and pick five things from it that they would like to put in a time capsule. Four things they love and would wish to preserve or have again, and one they would like to bury deep in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the filmmaker, writer, actor, comedian and presenter, Danny Wallace. Yes, clearly he'll take any job. Uh, for example, at the age of 22, he became a BBC producer and worked on Dead Ringers, The Mighty Boosh and Ross Noble Goes Global. He worked as a journalist and wrote the books Are You Dave Gorman, Join Me, Random Acts of Kindness and Yes Man, which was adapted into a film starring Jim Carrey. Six more highly successful books followed, as well as television presenting panel games like Eight Out of Ten Cats and Would I Lie to You, acting roles, voiceovers and video games. Yeah, he gets about our Danny, doesn't he? But luckily, I managed to catch him at his home with a spare hour to talk about the things he would like to put into a time capsule. And this is that conversation. Danny, thank you so much for being part of my time capsule. What, what shape is this time capsule? Well, it's as large or as small as you like. So it's it's quite malleable. I yes, it is. That's it. Yeah, so I've got some quite big things. I've got some other little things. Yeah. And some are invisible. So. Well, I'll try and find all the compartments for the small things. Keep them safe. Thank you. I don't want to mess things up. No, no, no. I don't want, for example, Suffolk squashing a mouse. No, my God, could you imagine? It'd be terrible. It would. The podcast would be shut down. <laughs> it would be the front page of the sun. <laughs> it would. <laughs> So, uh, so what's your first item? Well, I was thinking about this last night, and I, I don't know how I'm going to get it in there, but I'm just going to try. Um, <laughs> shaking with laughter. <laughs> shaking with laughter, that uncontrollable, that feeling, it's so precious, and it's so sort of rare when it happens, and you, you can't stop it. And you know the when you cry with laughter, afterwards you feel exhausted. 
right? But it's the best exercise kind of in the world because you feel somehow cleansed. Like, like I don't know if there's something different about tears when you, <laughs> when you laugh as opposed to anything else, but it's just this euphoria and it's cleansing and, it's, and it becomes rarer, I think, the older you get. Um, I've got so many memories from when I was a kid of just absolutely losing it <laughs> and the pain. And I, I, when, I, when I was a teenager and I started to go and see comedy, when you found a comedian who was just so good that they could control your emotions and control your body in a sense, because it's like a, it's like a magician mm. pointing at you and putting a spell on you to make your ribs hurt, you know? Yeah. And I remember that happening with Harry Hill. I remember that happening um, with Tim Vine. I remember it happening over the littlest things at school. Um, I remember most recently, probably when I was, I was reading a book um, where just the power of just some words on dead ink you know, can still have that power over you. So I love that, that, that feeling where you just can't control something but you're enjoying it so much and i think i would pop that in a time capsule um it's not it's not often that you enjoy pain is it no and it really does hurt laughing like that doesn't it yeah it really i mean it's great though and you know it's doing you good somehow i don't know what's been fired off in your brain millions of you know dopamine and whatever else but just the um surrendering that's it. You're surrendering yourself to something that you want it. You want it to stop, right? Because it's uncomfortable and it's embarrassing. <laughs> but you just can't kind of. Um, I don't know. It's gold. It's like little moments of gold in a day, and they're so rare yeah. um, that I would like immediate access to it. And maybe every night, I think it would do the country um, such a lot of good if if you could just trigger it off. You know, for two minutes before bedtime, or two minutes when you get up, uh, just uncontrollably shaking with laughter. I mean, it sounds like I'm going mad. <laughs> and, and, uh, I think people would assume you had issues, um, but I, I just think that the the for mental health and uh, things like that, which I've never struggled with, I'm, I'm very very fortunate. But I, I think that that a, a moment where you surrender control to humour. Mm. Um, would just be a brilliant thing in a day. It's one of those teenage bonding things as well, isn't mm -hmm. it? That actually you always find a mate and you find one thing funny that nobody else does. Yeah. Yeah, and it just goes on and on and you can't, and people are looking at you and they want to in on the joke. And there'll always be that moment with a half smile. Someone goes, well, what are you laughing at? And you tell them and it's just not funny. No. And, uh, and that makes it funnier. And then you and your mate are triggered off again and you just, you just can't, you just can't stop. I once went out with a girl who had, Sort of like um, you have a hairstyle sometimes where you know, like Princess Leia would have those two little things, donuts, whatever they are. <laughs> and um, my mate um, was around the house once, and um, she walked in, and then he just did one thing. It was just a mime, and all he did was put his hands up to his ears, and then mime the action as if she'd be able to just take those off, <laughs> like earmuffs. <laughs> and it must have been forty minutes before we we could breathe again, and. I'm telling you now, it's not funny. But what's funny about it is the fact that we were just like, I love those moments. Then you're right. It is that bonding thing. It's, it's sharing a moment with someone else. I mean, if it's just you on a bus, no, I could do without that happening. You know what I mean? But it is that, that brother and sisterhood, you know, I remember I've just had a flashback now to a, a den. My dad built me in the garden when I was about seven and a kid coming around who was a good friend of mine 
and something happened that made us both laugh a lot. And I did, I, I, I literally, uh, well, there was urine everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and I was thinking, you know, that's not going to be, that's not going to be a good day at school tomorrow. Because he can't not tell people. No. So I'm just going to have to own it. And so I just owned it. I went, yes, I did. Mm. It was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> um, it made me piss myself. Yes. Yes. In a garden next to a friend. It's quite nice in an enormous crowd when everybody gets it, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I just remember that Tim Vine, you know, I'd never seen him before, and if if people are unfamiliar, it's just one joke after another, sometimes themed, sometimes not, sometimes props, but they're just it's just wordplay. But it's the relentlessness of it. It's just building up. He's, like, winding you up, and he hits you with ten gags, then there's another ten, and then 30 minutes later you're like... How how is he doing this? <laughs> and it becomes a, a, a well a, a form of hysteria, I suppose, which I guess is where we get hysterics and hysteria. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, be something, it must you know, be. Yeah, it becomes a hysteria. You know, a form of hysteria. I think it must be amazing to do that to people. Yeah, to have that control. And I wonder what it does to the performer as well when they know. Do they do they double down? Do they get you know? Is it just part of the job? Are they enjoying it? Do they enjoy it later? Do they want to keep it going? Have they ever killed anybody? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure some of the world's best comedians are also probably some of the world's uh, most prolific murderers. <laughs> I'm sure there are also times when one person in the audience will just go. Yeah. My wife at a League of Gentlemen concert, <laughs> they eventually had to say to her, we can't do the joke until you shut up. <laughs> She's that person. She'd gone. But what a brilliant person to be. I mean, yeah. they're fun to be around as well. You know, you know the stick, because it's just joy. And obviously, like, again, I reiterate the point, if she's doing it on the bus on her own, <laughs> probably sit somewhere else. <laughs> but in a theatre, I think it's more than fine. And you've got young children as well, isn't it? They have yeah. a propensity for that sort of thing, don't they? They Where do. They just go. One of the best moments, actually, right where you're sitting, my youngest was watching uh, TV, and I put on funny cat videos, because the kids love cats. And I thought, let's just do that. And it's just slapstick, basically. It's just cats falling off things <laughs> for eight forever. And um, I'll watch a few of them and be like, oh, yeah, that's another cat falling. But <laughs> it was the first time I, I, I really felt that my son had found his own voice, in a sense, because the reaction of video after video after video of just the build-up and then the little payoff and this involuntary you know, noise, this burst of laughter proper childish laughter where he can't control it and he's never heard himself do that either no. and we're all just watching it you know like so and I, I think that was just a, a, a brilliant moment as a dad to watch that involuntary laughter to watch that loss of control but in the best way possible it does his own little Tim Vine moment yeah yeah exactly but, but for him it's, it's just cats falling <laughs> right well that's brilliant let's take Involuntary laughter and hysterics. Yes. Hysterics, and let's put it in there and let it chortle away yeah, until we'll you need it. it. Great. Okay, so what's your second item? Uh, my second item is, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the playing fields of Loughborough University in the summer. Um, I am very familiar with them, not because I went to Loughborough University, not because I'm particularly sporty, but because we lived in Loughborough for about uh, six or seven years when I was a kid, we used to sneak into the university these, as children. And we used to play a game that somehow um, everyone seemed to know the rules of, which was just called being chased by the security guards. <laughs> 
and because we weren't allowed to be there, you know, we weren't supposed to be there, and we were, you know, just children. And we would wait until they had um, cut the grass, and then we would build like a grass wall so that we could very quickly jump behind them if any of the little blue vans with these sort of retired men in them <laughs> um, spotted us. And it was the most thrilling way to spend a day because you were always about to get into trouble, always. And a grown-up was going to get you. And a grown-up in a van, you know, with a little hat and a blue suit. <laughs> and it was, like, it was like when you read the Beano and, you know, he was always afraid of, like, the park warden. Dennis the Menace would always be afraid of, like, the, the parky. Mm. And for me... The security team at Loughborough University in the late 1980s, early 1990s were my Beano park warden. And there was unwritten rules, which was that if we ran, like concrete, they could get us. That's fine, because they're driving along. But the second I, I get onto the grass, they're not allowed, because they can't drive the vans on the grass. And um, we all seemed to understand that, that was, you know, this was how it worked. And then uh, one day they broke the rules and they drove across the field. And it wasn't fair. No. And they caught us and they told us off. Anyway, my dad worked at the university, so I was technically allowed to be there. <laughs> so I had that in my, in my back pocket. But that was the last time I played. And it was just, it was like being robbed of something, of realising that the world doesn't work on your rules all the time or that other people will break the rules mm. um, and pop that little bit of magic. So I'd like to get that magic back and I'd like to be able to do that again. In fact, when I turned 30, I went back and met some of my pals that I used to do that with. And we went to the playing fields, we went to Loughborough University, and we just walked around. Again, we weren't supposed to be there. We didn't have ID, we just snuck on. The difference is now we're 30, no one was bothered because we just looked like lecturers or something. <laughs> and suddenly we were like the oldest people there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, bittersweet. But um, I think that childhood sense of cheekiness, of pushing boundaries, breaking a few little rules, but in a safe sort of way... I'd, very innocent times and um, and and fun. You You've know? always got a mound of grass to go back to, though. Yeah, yeah, somewhere exactly. to hide. Yeah, base. It's you know? been base. When I'm at base, I'm safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can't get me. No. Oh, well, it turns That's out the rule. It turns out they can. I'm amazed they yeah. broke the rules. Yeah, I know. They, say, they must not have read the rules. They're the <laughs> idiots of the uh, made-up, uh, essentially um, evading authority <laughs> rules. I've been evading authority ever since. Who was the most daring of your mates? Who was the person who stuck to the path the most? Um, I, have, I have a sense that we were very much like a sort of... I don't think there was a renegade or a maverick or someone who pushed it harder. We were just like a little team, yeah. you know, like the A-team or like the kids from Stranger Things on our BMXs. Um, Anil, you know, he was, um, he was pretty fast and he's, he became a karate, uh, king of karate. Um, Simon Gibson... When I caught up with him, he runs Toby Carveries up and down the country, and he also thinks he solved time travel. Yeah. That'll be him yesterday at the door. <laughs> <laughs> the rule, which is a strange thing when you talk about kids you went to school with, you would never say, there's a kid at my school called Ian. You'd always say, there's a kid at my school called Ian Fletcher. Yeah. It's, there's a rule where you have to say their full names. I don't know why that is. I think it's the registry. Ah, yeah, could be, couldn't it? Yeah. So you're always taught to the see people name. in there. That is funny. Um, there was Cameron, Cameron Dewa, and he was a Fijian kid. And there was always this rumour that he was like um, royalty. And um, <laughs> we became really, really tight friends. And we'd been playing that game, running away from security. And we went for a final BMX, because he was going back to Fiji. We had a final BMX, and we went back to the house. And there was a limo outside the house. 
and a little Fijian flag. And um, the ambassador to Fiji was in my house in this weird little street in Loughborough. And my mum was bringing him tea and little sandwiches. And that seemed unusual for Loughborough. And it turned out that, yeah, um, Cameron was a, a kind of a tribal kind of, you know, prince. <laughs> um, and he had his own village called Nabuso, I think, where they had to give him food anytime he wants food. And they're not allowed to look him in the eye. So it turned out that the kid, yeah, was actually, you know, that <laughs> I was going to be an next one. Yeah. Well, you could have got away with murder. Then. I know. Do you not know who this is? <laughs> it was extraordinary. And I met up with him uh, not long ago as well. So, I mean, you know. Did uh, he go back to Fiji and then stay there? He went back to Fiji and then he came back um, to London, but his, his family is still out there, you know. And, um, yeah, he did things very much on Fiji time. I remember going to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the set began at two o'clock. He was wandering about half past three um, as the film was ending. And I'd be like, Wait, I told you it was two o'clock. And he was like, yeah, I just, I'm just not bothered. He was never bothered about anything, would never be on time, but was like the sweetest, gentlest soul, mm. you know, the Fijian prince. Lovely. So I think that sense of childhood, that sense of yeah, freedom is, is important. Yeah, summed up on the playing fields of Loughborough where did you where, where, where did you play? Well, when I was very small, of course, because um, uh, I'm a bit older than you, I played on bomb sites. Oh, my good gosh. Mm. And wow. Yeah, the south of London. I was born around uh, the docks. So there were great areas that were still devastated from the war. You're kidding. Even in the 60s. Really? Yeah, and they were sort of panelled off with uh, corrugated iron, but they always had gaps. And so we ran all over these bomb sites where buildings had been destroyed by the bombs during the war. My God. And it shows how long it took them to... Rebuild. Yeah. And how much that land would be worth now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it'd been emptied for 15, maybe 20 years. My God. Mm. The most dangerous thing was we did once, well, I don't think I was involved, but a boy was locked in a fridge. Oh. One of those fridges with a handle that clicks oh, into yeah. place. Oh, no. Really dangerous yeah. places. And, of course, it's a vacuum inside once you shut that. Once the air's gone, there's yeah. nothing. And uh, it was only when we all went home and somebody came and said, have you seen so-and-so? And that somebody said, well, I think he's still... Oh, oh I think he's in the fridge. Jeez. And he only just made it. You're kidding. No. Oh, my God. That was only five, you know. Why would I know that? Yeah, no, of course. I, You know, you don't think of fridges as being, uh, you know... Fun. Compared to... Fun places. Fun, yeah. But compared to... Uh, if you're playing on a bomb site, it's bombs you look out for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Rather than white goods. <laughs> yes. We did that, and uh, there was a playing field that did have a park keeper. They always had a pointy stick for picking up leaves. Oh, so. really? Is that what they thought? Yeah, okay. so that's why they were quite frightening. Yeah, different world. There was always a man in a long coat sitting yeah. on a bench who we all knew as the weirdo. Right, oh, really? Mm. Oh. So, uh, but we just learned to avoid him. Yeah. A bit sad. Cause it, the, yeah, because paedophiles are a recent invention, aren't they? Because they just used to be dirty old men. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so you'd avoid them. <laughs> just, they're all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> People don't flash anymore, do they? I don't know, do they? I think the flashing used to be a thing. There used to be flashes, didn't there? And it was trench coats and stuff. And I don't know where... It's a dying art. <laughs> I don't know where they've gone. You know, how did they die out? There are always stories of people flashing at Christmas and putting fairy lights around their genitals. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Which is would give people a little treat. Yeah, because that's flashing but making an effort, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Otherwise, flashing, flashing with entertainment. Yeah. yeah. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope no one's flashing anyway. I mean, they must be. They must be flashers. But hopefully they're being reported now. Because yeah. the thing was that people just said, oh, like, flashed at me. 
Ugh. you know it's the rise the rise of CCTV may put it to an end I hope yeah I, I've never been able to on that note um, I don't know how to walk behind a woman I don't know at night and I don't know what to do um, do I cross over? Do I don't? Do I not cross over? Do I whistle? Maybe I'll whistle to show I'm no threat. But then it, it sort of lends it a kind of a horror movie sort of because it always sounds a bit wrong. Why is a man whistling at night? You know <laughs> the Jaws theme. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've often thought maybe I should just carry a balloon <laughs> and it would uh, it would render me a playful edge. <laughs> But that also <laughs> you look like a lunatic clown. <laughs> yeah, just properly. I'm turning slowly into Joker, aren't I? Yeah, just like just with a balloon, the sort of yeah clownish thing and hysterics, constantly laughing to myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there we are. We put in the playing fields of Loughborough University. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Now third item. Okay, this is the moment in the podcast where we take a short break for an advert. I hope you enjoy it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Was there an advert? You never know with these things. Anyway, let's get back to Danny Wallace and find out what else he'd like to put into his time capsule. Third item, um, it sort of sums up, I suppose, uh, somewhere teenage years in that I once tried to see if I could write the worst joke in the world. And it was a big long summer and I was just kind of coming up with stuff to do, you know. And um, so I wrote this, uh, this joke and the joke was, Poirot, Poirot says, um, hmm, there is something fishy about this case. To which uh, Captain Haddock replies, that's because I'm a fish. <coughs> now, it doesn't work on any level, right? Um, Poirot is there, but Captain Haddock, he's from Tintin. Yes. Think, and also he's animated. And he's not a fish. So why is he saying he's a fish? <laughs> and why is he working with Poirot? You know, um, there's a Belgian connection, but that's nothing to do with it. Anyway, so I put that together and I sent it off um, wherever I could. 
and um, I, I wrote a stern letter with it saying, uh, this is, you know, this is an example of my work. Do not steal this joke or I will find out and I will report you. Like, to who? Uh, you know. Hallmark cards wrote back um, and they said they were very impressed with the standard of my work. <laughs> um, but that there was no, uh, no opportunities um, as yet, which was a shame. Um, I'm pretty sure either Bruno Brooks or Gary Davis read it out on the radio, probably just because they just wanted to read something and it didn't, you know, occur to them that it didn't make sense or anything like that. They have no sense of humour. No. Um, Giles Brandreth wrote back to me and, um, no, not Giles Brandreth, Richard Whiteley oh. from Countdown. And he was furious. He was actually furious with me. For, he just went, your joke is lousy. And he underlined that. And he said, it's taken me 15 years to get where I am. All this kind of stuff. Send better material. This kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and he was so disgusted with me that he didn't even use the um, stamped addressed envelope that I provided. And he made a point of using his own stamp. And, and he made a point of telling me that he was using his own stamp. <laughs> I don't need your charity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the best thing happened, which was that uh, a hero of mine wrote back. And I couldn't quite believe it. And, um, <laughs> and I lost the letter. I lost the letter that he'd written for more than 20 years until last summer when I was unpacking a box that had probably been moved from house to house for the last 25, you know, 20 years, whatever. And I found the letter. And it's over on that table over there. Shall I get it? Yeah. There you go. Sorry. Sorry. That's all right. Get it. I'd love to see it. And then we can find out who it's from. Exactly. It better not be Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got got it. Have a look at this. Okay, I'm having a look. Remember, I'd I'd said... Mr. D. Wallace. I know, even a mister, just D. Wallace. (laughs) 30 Monmouth Street, Bath. That we used to live. No, that was uh, where I worked. I thought I don't want to be no, sending no. my address out to everybody. <laughs> Very sensible. Okay. And remember, right. I've told them. I've told them. You know, do not nick this. Craig, where I'm going to open the letter. Nice handwriting. Ah, oh. a headed notepaper with the words Ronnie Barker. Yeah. Hey, I'd sent it to his antique shop. Ah, uh, yes. Do you see what he says? No, you read it to me. Go on. Dear Mr. Wallace, thank you for your letter, but I retired eight years ago. You must have missed it in the press. So now have no connection with show business whatsoever, so I'm not in the market for any material. My apologies. Now this, this is the good bit. I will certainly, and this is a promise, never use your joke, not even in private conversation. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. You're sincerely Ronnie Barker. No wonder he's a hero. (laughs) I loved it. And, you know, I hope that he saw that there was a chance that I wasn't serious with this. Yes. And that I wasn't going to report him to the police or the authorities if he used it. But if not, I love the fact that he hid that insult in there, assuming that if I was genuine, I would absolutely not uh, understand. You'd never get it. I'd never get it. (laughs) I'd just be like, oh, that's nice. He's promised not to use it. So, you know, I did a load of weird stuff when I was a teenager in, in that in that way. Um, I was I used to play pranks and I used to do things. I remember once I did a very elaborate prank on a neighbour involving headed notepaper and uh, all sorts and other people, third parties and, uh, and, and everything. And then I got found out 
And oh my God, my stomach just dropped. And I was, I was like, I'm going to have to tell mum when she gets home. And she got home and I told her, I said, I've done a really bad thing. And uh, when I looked up, she was weeping with laughter. <laughs> and she loved it. <laughs> she loved it. So I was, it was very supportive. So doing things like that yeah. was, was good fun. And it sums up um, a nice time in my life. That's fantastic. And the great thing is that Ronnie Park always wrote under a pseudonym, didn't he? His own material. Yeah. He would write under that pseudonym because he didn't want anybody to know that it was his material because he thought they'd be biased towards it. So right. he wanted it judged properly. Mm-hmm. And then he got one or two sketches into the show. And uh, eventually, from what I understand, the producers worked out that it was Ronnie Barker sending this stuff <laughs> in because it always suited him completely. And uh, he sort of knew the words by the time they got to do the rehearsal. Of course, yeah. So they sussed him. But... Nobody, ever, nobody ever admitted it. Nobody ever owned oh, up. Oh, really? No, they kept saying, oh, we've got some more stuff from that bloke. He's really good, actually. Wow. That is great. Uh, he, you know, he was, just, he was just a legend. I wish I could have, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to meet people like Terry Wogan mm. and, you know, just very briefly. And, and people like Ronnie Bark. I mean, that would have been great. I would have loved to have met him. Is it that letter that you'd like to put in there? Yeah, that, I'm going to put that in there. That'll do. Because that that's a physical thing. I've been yeah. putting in some weird stuff. You know, there's a huge amount of fields and there's hectares of fields <laughs> and, uh, and a concept. And so I thought I'd better put something in that people can actually pick up. Yes. Otherwise they go, this appears to be empty. It's <laughs> imaginary fields. It must be somewhere in this field. <laughs> yeah. Surely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, that lovely letter from Ronnie Barker that goes into your time capsule. So it's three things we've got in there. Yeah. Um, Right. Don't forget, at one point, one of these things has to be something you're really glad to get rid of. Got you. No problem. Right. So where are we going next? Let's go, let's go to Dundee. Okay. And I want the Tay Bridge, the, old, the entire Tay Bridge. <laughs> and it's big, you know? Yeah. But you can pop it on one of the fields, maybe. Uh, because I, I, I was born in Dundee, and I lived in Dundee until I was about seven, and I had a very strong Dundonian accent, which I then lost because um, I'm an only child. My mum is Swiss. My dad's uh, from the borders. And so there's no one to back up my accent. So I'd have to listen to the proclaimers uh, a lot. And we lived in a house that was, you know, you can see the River Tay, but you could, I mean, the, the Tay Bridge was just over there. And um, on a sunny day in Dundee, which is maybe once every three years, <laughs> there's something about it that speaks to my soul. The glistening water, the green of the hills um, nearby, the, the dark grey of the buildings in Dundee, um, I found myself back there a couple of years ago and I was on the train towards Dundee and something happened to me, like some some weird physical calm came over me just from the colours, just from, you know, and I think that probably we all have an element of that from, from childhood. Um, something, a landscape, a colour palette, something that speaks to our heart in some way and makes us just kind of, everything's okay. Maybe it's because, you, you know, you're at a time back then when you're sort of, you know, every whim is catered for, someone's making you sausages, the squash, ready access to squash, <laughs> and you can sit there and draw. Um, what do we do now when we're grown-ups? We don't get to just sit down and draw anymore, you know. We don't get to just grab a piece of paper and just sit down and just create something like that. Well, some of us do. You're doing a podcast. You know, <laughs> I'm lucky enough to, you know, uh, write, and so I can, I can do that. But the, the purity of that, and for me, it was always summed up by looking up and seeing the Tay Bridge up in Dundee. Um, and with that comes everything about Dundee, um, comes the accent. I find myself, whenever I go back up to Scotland, the first thing that happens is I start making a noise that I never make. Um, and I find myself going, aha, aha. And I must have done that when I was a kid. And 
it comes back. It's the first thing. And the rest of my accent remains, you know, normal. Um, but that element of it with the cabbie or whatever, I just I found myself just going, uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll put the Tay Bridge in there and the sort of, um, the copious amounts of free time you have when you're a kid to do whatever you want, mm. you know. So these are, you know, I want this time capsule. Uh, it's, it's bespoke, right? It's for me. Yeah, you're going to um, have fun in there. Yeah, so I, I've, got these, I've got these things and, you know, and with it comes free time, which is uh, something you don't really have anymore. No, kids of your own. No, it's true. Is it the light also behind it though that you'd like? When you say that the colours, yeah, yeah. I think um, there are some spectacular sunsets in Dundee. Dundee for me. I, whenever I got to the Edinburgh Festival, or whatever, and I'd see Scottish comedians, Dundee was a punchline. It was always a punchline in the way that Swindon or Kettering would be a sort of uh, an English punchline, and it was always Dundee. And I didn't get it because my Dundee was. Glorious. You get amazing sort of purple, blue skies and orange and pink. And it just cycles through that. And I just, I was watching Succession the other day, you know, the brilliant TV drama. And Brian Cox, the actor who is also from Dundee, his character is from Dundee. And there's a moment where I was watching it and he's just going down a street. And it was my street. And he points at a bandstand that he used to play at when he was a kid, this character. And it's the bandstand I used to play at. And it was like Succession was doing a little time capsule for me of my, of my life. <laughs> so it feels like, yeah, there's a, there's a moment um, happening for Dundee. And, um, you know, I, for, for me, it's the happiest place. When did you leave Dundee? When I was about seven or eight. Um, and and yet it's still so clear in your memory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Standing on Magdalen Green near the bandstand, the shimmering Tay, the bridge looking up and seeing a plane doing a loop-the-loop, little planes doing stunts, and then Dad bringing the camera out and taking a picture. And those were the days, obviously, when, you know, we all seemed to think that camera film was like gold or something. Mm. So you'd, you'd, you'd take a picture because it meant something. Mm. And it was a moment. And it was very rare that we'd squander one of those. So it was like my dad to take the camera out. It was like a little event and just takes a picture of me in the sunshine on the green and in the I still know the picture it's so nice there's his shadow you know and and that's why he chose it I think so so maybe that's the yeah I mean yeah because you would choose the moment with a photograph yeah I remember the extravagance of actually taking two rolls of film and each of them had 36 you're going to do 72 photographs on your two week holiday where are we going to put them all that's ridiculous I can predict accurately the first picture as well on that roll it would have been if it was on holiday, it would have been of your meal. <laughs> because for some reason, we, whenever we went on holiday, the first thing you do is take a picture of your meal. <laughs> and you're, obviously, you're just like, oh, wow, we're having a meal. And it'll just be like egg and chips. But for some reason, it's like lent a glamorous edge because, you know, you've had your first day in the sun and there's a weird cocktail. And so you take a picture of that. And um, I don't know anyone who's uh, ever been pleased to see that photo again. But I think that if I ever um, do a coffee table book, it will be people's first meals on holiday and it will just be egg and chips egg and chips egg and chips you know <laughs> a succession of sunburnt dads a drunk grandma you know all that kind of stuff my grand when she came on holiday with us once and the first thing she did was she get off her face on whiskey <laughs> and snore all night and I was like this is hell is that the thing she bought in the duty free <laughs> no. so she'd bring him with her I think a man called Tony at the bar um, just kept buying her whiskies. lovely <laughs> I'm going to take you back to the bridge because yeah 
Now, I've never been to Dundee. Mm-hmm. I'll admit that. I've been to lots of places in Scotland, and I'm, I'm very fond of them, and I'm particularly fond of the cities. Yeah. But what I'm not so keen on is the wilderness. I don't like wilderness particularly. You don't like, oh, I see. But and, yeah. and actually, between all those cities, there's a lot of wilderness there's in Scotland. a lot Scotland. of wilderness, yeah. Lots of places where you think, uh, it's going to take me hours to walk to the pub. <laughs> Is it a fear of being attacked by a predator? What's, <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your deal with the wilderness? Uh, not being able to get to the local shop. Ah, uh, right. Probably. So you're a real city boy. I, well, am, I guess yeah. you grew up in London. Yes. So that's what you know. Mm. Yeah. There's something very special about London. I lived there, you know, 20 odd years, and... There's something that happens in London that I don't think... Now I think about it, I don't think it happens anywhere else. But I love it. And it is the pause between you telling the cab driver where you want to go and the cab driver replying, OK. And it's that moment. <laughs> it's a silence. And you might use it to get in. You might do whatever. You might just look at them until they've worked it out. But it's when they're working out the route, that they're recognising the place, and it's this map that explodes in their brain all in this one pause. Wow, and I yeah. love listening to that pause. Yes. It's like the pause at the cinema when the adverts have finally finished and you know it's going to be the title of the movie next. It's like these wonderful little moments of silence that we never appreciate. Mm. And I think that in London, that the fact that they learn the roots and do the knowledge, that pause is just loaded with experience and years and an entire city in a pause. I love it. Do you think that that whole thing of doing the knowledge will disappear? Because at the moment you get into a car and they just get their phone out and go, okay, right, yeah, that's about 25 minutes away. Yeah, I think it will. And um, it'll save a lot of people a lot of time. Yeah. They won't have to spend four years, you know. Ah, Well, whatever breaks down. Well... Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what if we'll, anything breaks down? We'll go and find an old bloke in a pub and say, he has the knowledge. Imagine that. That's, that'd be a great sort of apocalyptic film where they've got to find the, the last man who's got the knowledge because <laughs> they can't get somewhere. <laughs> Nobody to, knows where to go. Yeah, they've got to track down Blind Harry, you know, <laughs> who feels his way around London based on, based on maps he learned 60 years ago. Let's do it. All right. Let's make that Done. film. In the meantime, I'm going to be putting a great effort into getting the Tay Bridge into your time capsule. Yeah. yeah. You give me some work to do. You can shrink wrap it. Uh, no, I just get a bigger time capsule. Okay, okay. But there's a lot of digging if we're going to bury it. Yeah. I know that. Okay, there we are, four lovely things. Uh, now we have to have something that you're glad to bury. Right, something I want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. The thing I think I'd get, uh, maybe get rid of is a... Uh, well, I've got to. But I'm putting it in here only because... I want it to be replaced by something else. And I think I'm going to put in um, my mother's practical gifts. So I get very practical gifts <laughs> from my mum. I mean, sometimes, I mean, they're practical, but they're also like useless in a sense as well. So she'll, for Christmas, I will get this big thing and I'll open it and it'll be like a sort of metal tray with. Spaces. I think they're called canapé boats. And I'm supposed to now make canapés. And I don't make canapés. <laughs> I've never made a canapé. I've never shown interest in canapés. I've never mentioned canapés. I don't insist on canapés when I go around to theirs. No. People have never asked me for a canapé. Um, and yet my mum thinks, oh, he probably needs something for his canapés. And now I, I've got to be like, thanks for the canapés boat thing. But, you know, and... <laughs> 
And I know that if I don't use this canapé boat thing, she's going to start asking questions. Like, why is she... Maybe she just really loves canapés and she needs someone to do it. There's one year where... <laughs> where I knew what I was getting for Christmas because, um, you know, when people sound you out and they sort of... They want to see... So she, she says to me, literally says to me, I was just wondering, uh, Daniel, um, what's, what's your favourite type of fire extinguisher? <laughs> yeah, as if, as if I've got one. As if, Ooh, yeah. it's so difficult to choose. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, my favourite is powder. That's why, you know, one's suitable for liquid fires. Um, and uh, so I was like, I, I was saying to my wife, I was like, she can't be getting me a fire extinguisher. Who gets a fire extinguisher for Christmas? So anyway, it was Christmas Day and I opened it. It was a fire extinguisher. Um, so, you know, and I don't know how to... How do you, how do you show pleasure uh, when holding a fire extinguisher? It's not like something you can, oh, I'll use that now. Yeah, it's let's like, let it off. Yeah, you can't, you're not allowed. And you, you don't want to use it either. Ideally, the best fire extinguisher is one you never use. Yes. So now I've just got a big... Fire extinguisher. <laughs> but I couldn't even bother to describe it there. It's just a fire extinguisher. <laughs> I remember on my um, 16th birthday, no, 18th birthday, I was like, uh, I wonder, you know, it's a big birthday. And, you know, in America, kids would get, like, cars, or, you know. We, we've never been a family like that uh, in, in, in sort of any uh, way. But I was like, oh, it'll be interesting to see what will happen. Maybe it'll be a little silver pocket watch, you know. You're a man now, my son. Go out into the world. Engraved. Yeah. Mm. No, not me. I got a glove puppet, a Mr. Bean video, and a belt. <laughs> All of which are great. But I already had the Mr. Bean video. Um, it's hard to get excited about a belt. And I was 18 and had no use for a glove puppet. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a real coming of age. I wasn't it? going into puppetry. <laughs> I was a man. Um, so, so, you know, while I appreciate these gifts from the most generous and loving and golden-hearted woman who has ever walked the earth, I think that if I pop that in the time capsule, it's going to be replaced by someone else. And, you know, Muggins here is going to start getting silver pocket watches. Ah. And American cars. <laughs> a whole... Because with this, there's a rule I've decided on, on your podcast. Thanks. I've decided the rule is all the, all the presents I should have got should now come my way. Oh, yes, so of course. I want 43 years' worth. Well, that thing's gone. That thing of yeah. impractical presents is gone. Yeah. So in, in their place, yeah. you're bound to get great presents. Exactly. So I should walk upstairs and, and all the presents that should have been given to me will now magically appear. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so, yeah, that would be my one slightly selfish thing. Oh, um, I can have the moon landing game. The moon landing game? Yeah, when I was a kid, I got it one Christmas and the balloon burst within about ten minutes. I don't even know what the moon landing oh, game is. It was the year of the moon landing. Ah. Mm, it was a, basically a lunar module with a balloon on the top and a large fan. Ah. And you had to blow it across the room and try and land it on the moon, the other side of the room. Oh, wow. Great game. That's pretty good. Great game. And it popped. And ten minutes in, oh. pop, no other balloons. You know, I had that with my Evil Knievel, uh, the, the little uh, stunt bike. I took it outside, so excited. Wound it up, let it go, and it went straight into a Volkswagen Golf and smashed on my oh. first go. Oh. But it happens now, at Christmas Day, I got my son a little remote-controlled plane. He's very into planes. And, um, of course... I should have said, you know, let's not go where there's loads of trees. <laughs> because neither of us have ever done this before. Yes, hang on. Looking around your, yeah. your garden, it's completely surrounded by trees. So within five minutes, mm -hmm. the uh, tree uh, has claimed 
uh, its victim. And uh, I was the dad on Christmas Day, like something out of a sitcom, in my pyjamas on a very short stepladder, holding a broom, which I'd gaffer taped to a hoe, which I'd gaffer taped to some big weird <laughs> duster thing, <laughs> at the top of this small ladder, waving it around on Christmas Day. Obviously, everyone walking by knows exactly what's happened. They can just put it, oh, the dad has given the son a plane, he's got it stuck, it's Christmas Day, he's going to be out. Yeah, yeah. And I was still about 30 feet short of this thing. But I, <laughs> it wasn't letting it stop me. I was just batting everything. I was being for a strong the wind. Dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess it's, it's, you know, that's a tale as old as time. Mm, no doubt about that. Well, I think that your mum, this gift of practical presence, clearly she feels that you have everything you need. And I think she's trying to fill a void. I, I, well, the void that needs to be filled is where is my moon landing going? Why did I have to buy my own evil Knievel? <laughs> and, um, and I want a remote control plane. That's why I bought it for him. Yeah. You know, so I'm overcompensating now. But, you know, um, I'm ready for fires <laughs> and canopies. <laughs> okay, well, um, we'll seal up your time capsule with these lovely things in there. And, uh, and we shall go and uh, enjoy a few canopies. The utensils are there and we can just, you know, just go and fill it up with the most marvellous canopy. God, I'm starving. Well, I'll mm. make you one right now. I've only got Marmite and peanuts. Thank you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Danny Wallace. You can subscribe to this podcast on Acast, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you have the time, we'd be grateful if you would rate us and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just go to at MyTCPod or at Fenton Stevens. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens, and the music is by Pass the Peas Music. It was a cast-off production. So, until next time... Thank you for listening. I said, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Yeah, look, that's where you reply. You're welcome, Mike. Like that. I mean, oh, honestly, no manners, some people. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.